It is really great to be able to introduce Cesar Garcia to you this morning. I can't remember the first time I met Cesar. I know it was in Bogota, Colombia, where Cesar is from and where he lived at the time. It was probably in some meeting where we were talking about the relationship between the Mennonite Brethren churches where Cesar was a pastor and a denominational leader and Mennonite Central Committee who I worked for. I do remember that in our post-meeting analyses where we always evaluated things, that um, remember the feeling that Cesar was a person we were happy to be working with. And a few years later, Cesar moved with Sandra, his wife, and their two daughters to Fresno, California to study at Fresno Pacific Seminary. I remember after that, uh, the first time I heard Cesar give a talk in English, feeling a bit of awe at how well he had mastered the English language. That's something that's not particularly easy to do. And I also remember the joy and maybe uh, more than a little bit of pride among Colombian Anabaptists when, after graduating from seminary, Cesar was appointed General Secretary of Mennonite World Conference. And it is in that capacity that he is talking to us today. Mennonite World Conference is a web of just over 100 Anabaptist denominations from 58 countries with about a million and a half people in them. Mennonite World Conference reminds us that we are not alone, but that, but that we are together with a worldwide family of faith, supporting each other as we all do our best to follow Jesus in our own particular places and cultures. Cesar worked as General Secretary of, uh, from Mennonite World Conference's offices in Bogota for quite a few years until about three years ago, MWC decided it would be easier and would facilitate more contacts among global churches if their offices were in Ontario. So today, Cesar and Sandra live in uh, Kitchener. We are so glad to have you here. Of course, we do wish that you could spend a little more time with us but we're also happy that you are willing to, do, to, to speak in not one, but two churches this morning. And as soon as, the, as, soon as Cesar is done speaking, you'll, he'll be leaving to go to Crossroads to, to uh, give the sermon there. And we pray that God is with you always, that God gives you the energy to keep doing this important, and I know sometimes pretty complicated work, holding a whole bunch of Mennonites together in one big network. And we pray that God blesses Mennonite World Conference. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, no problem. <laughs> It is a privilege for me to be here again. It was some years ago when I had the opportunity of, of visiting this, this church by first time. So it is, it is a blessing for me. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity of being here today. I was going to say I bring greetings from Mennonite World Conference, but that will be a little bit strange. It's the equivalent of waking up in the morning, looking at your mirror, and they say, good morning, how are you today? Uh, all of us are Mennonite World Conference. You are Mennonite World Conference, I am Mennonite World Conference, so greetings 
from all of us. Times of pandemic, times of violence in Ukraine, times of nationalism, times of inequality, times of political leaders taking advantage of that inequality to promote their political campaigns. Am I speaking about today? No, I am speaking about 1925. 1925. At that time, European, European Mennonite leaders asked themselves where to find hope. And at that time, church leaders in Russia and Europe proposed the idea of a global church or a transnational communion that will overcome violence, nationalism, inequality, and fragmentation. So let's see if we can go to the second slide that shows a picture of the first global assembly of Mennonite World Conference in 1925. Again, it was at that time, time of nationalism, violence in Ukraine, pandemic, inequality, populist leaders. It was at that time that Mennonites from Europe proposed this idea of a global community to overcome those very specific challenges. But coming back to our times, just a few weeks ago, in the New York Times, in April 22, the writer David Brooks said, Globalization is over. The global culture wars have begun. Well, 30 years ago, there was this optimistic vision of progress and convergence. Eventually, countries will seek to imitate the values of Western societies. However, we see today political, economic, and cultural divergence and fragmentation all over the world. This year in July, at Mennonite World Conference, we will celebrate our 17th Global Assembly. NWC invites approximately 10,000 local congregations all over the world to celebrate God's vision of a new transnational humanity that overcomes nationalism, racism, social classes differences, and other walls that set us apart. Mennonite World Conference is our global communion that brings together around, around 1.5 million Anabaptists. 1.5 million. So if somebody asks you later today, after lunch maybe, how many people joined your church in worship this morning? You can say, well, we were around 1.5 million today. <laughs> and speaking about our global church, some months ago, in my local congregation in Colombia, a friend said to me, Cesar, how I envy you. Why? I asked her. Well, you know, because I work, she said, in a multinational company with a lot of stress because of conflict with my bosses and my colleagues. But you, Cesar, 
you work with pastors and leaders of national conferences. What kind of problems could you have? <laughs> well, we know that conflicts among leaders, polarizations, and divisions are part of the church. Some days ago, I read a story told by a comedian from United States, Emo Phillips. He said, quote, I was walking across a bridge one day, and I saw a man standing on the edge about to jump off. So I ran. I ran over and said, stop, don't do it. Why shouldn't I? He asked. Well, there is so much to live for. Like what? Well, are you religious? He said, yes. I said, me too. Are you Christian or Buddhist? Christian. Me too. Are you Catholic or Protestant? Protestant. Me too. Are you Episcopalian or Baptist? Baptist. Wow, me too. Are you Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? Baptist Church of God. Me too. Are you original Baptist Church of God or are you reformed Baptist Church of God? Reformed Baptist Church of God. Me too. Are you reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1879? Or reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915? He said, Reformation, Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915. Then I said, die, heretic, and pushed him off. <laughs> End quote. When I read this story created by Phyllis, I thought we could write this about Anabaptists. One of the things we know how to do well is to fragment ourselves. And that is very sad because the world is in desperate need of living examples of communities that deal with disagreements, cultural and racial differences, diversity and financial disparity in ways that do not imply fragmentation and exclusion. How the church handle conflicts, how to give hope to the world. The church is the community that can show the world that it is possible to handle conflict without division or fragmentation. But as an Baptist, we know that that has not been the case historically. Some months ago, I was reading an article in a Mennonite magazine. Its author said, quote, I am proud of leaving this church because that is the faithful thing to do. You know, when you have to sacrifice doctrine or sacrifice ethics, you have to leave, end quote. Of course, that puts us in a kind of dilemma. You have to decide between unity on one hand and doctrine or ethics on the other hand. Then we think that if it is necessary, we have to sacrifice unity and keep a healthy doctrine or good ethics. That is the way we have dealt with doctrinal and ethical conflicts in our Anabaptist history. We just do not know 
what to do with the Bible texts that speak about unity and even more about koinonia, the Greek word for communion. In some of our worship resources, like this hymnal, we keep the Apostles' Creed, which is great. And we need to remember that the Apostle, Apostles' Creed ends with these sentences. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic or Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Communion is a biblical word that has to do with participating in the body of Christ. It has to do with sharing with each other. It has to do with having mutual interest. It has to do with generosity, participation in goods, sufferings, and grace. It means fellowship with Christ in the spirit. It means interdependency. It means unity, deep unity. As Anabaptists, we tend to spiritualize communion or leave it to be experienced after our death when we join each other in perfect unity. You know, this is very interesting. We, as Anabaptists, usually criticize, criticize other churches that spiritualize the Sermon of the Mount. You know, churches that say that this idea of being peacemakers is something that we can experience after death. That is not for us to experience now. We criticize those churches and we say, no, it's God's will to live out reconciliation and peacemaking today. But when we speak about unity, then we spiritualize unity. And then we say, well, you know, we are one, but in the spirit. Is something that we will experience after that. But it's not for us today. However, in the biblical concept of koinonia or communion, we can recover courage and hope in the church, in the unity that we experience and we can experience today. Hope in the church as communion is the main topic of the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. So as we read this morning in the first chapter of Ephesus, it says, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power? In these verses, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, is praying for us to get hope. It is fascinating to see the characteristics that hope has, according to this passage. I find at least three. First, hope is an invitation. God calls us to receive this hope. It is a calling. The only thing we can do is to decide to accept it or to reject it. Therefore, second, hope is something that we cannot produce by ourselves. 
According to the Apostle Paul's prayer, it is not possible to build this hope because it is something that is revealed to us, given to us. In other words, it is a gift, a gift from the Holy Spirit that God offers to us. And third, because of the way the Apostle speaks, hope has to do with community. Because he talks about the church. You cannot enjoy this kind of hope in an individualistic way. It is something that you experience when you are part of the community of saints. So the hope that the Apostle Paul is speaking in the book of Ephesians is an invitation. We can receive it or reject it. It's a gift from God. We cannot produce it. And it is communal. We cannot experience that in one individualistic way. However, we have not yet defined what this hope is. To find a definition of hope, we need to take a broader look at the Ephesians letter. And we read this morning another section of that letter where it says, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, as a plan to the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And then, some verses later in chapter 2, we read, we read, For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. That he might create in himself one, one, new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one, one body, through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. The idea of gathering up all things in Jesus is here again in these verses. Paul adds the concept of a new humanity, made up of different people, actually from different groups. When he speaks about two different groups, He's talking about Jews and Gentiles, two races that usually hate each other. They, too, are becoming one body, one new humanity. Then, in chapter 4, at the end of, of the letter, the Apostle Paul says, speaking about hope again, until all of us come to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. According to the Ephesians book, hope, this hope that we say is an invitation, is a gift, and is to be experienced in community, hope is related to the experience of unity in the body of Christ. That is what gives hope. Unity or communion not only provides hope, it is what allows us to reach the stature of the fullness of Christ. We don't reach the full stature of Christ by keeping the right doctrine, even though doctrine is fundamental. 
We don't get the full stature of Christ by proper ethics, even though ethics is crucial. According to the Ephesians book, the only way to arrive at maturity in Jesus Christ is to be together, despite the diversity of doctrine and ethics. And that is possible only if Jesus is the center of our lives. That is possible only if we decide to enjoy this hope and receive it, it's an invitation, and experience it in the community. It's a gift to be lived in the church. Because the only way of growing in our doctrinal and ethical differences is by conversation, by living together, by being one. And we know it is not easy. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle. We cannot produce it. That kind of hope is what our churches around the world have been discovering. Some years ago, the Brethren in Christ Church of Nepal was dealing with flooding. They lost everything. Houses, food, jobs, church buildings, everything. And then they saw Mennonites, MBs, Mennonite Brethren, and other Anabaptist churches sending them financial support, teams with people to serve. And then they realized that this church in Nepal was part of a global family of faith that overcomes nationalism. We are not alone. We are one body, and that gives hope. That was also the experience of Sang Min Lee. Sang Min Lee is a conscientious objector who was in jail for one and a half years in South Korea because of his conviction about peacemaking. According to him, what kept him alive was the support of our global church through emails and Facebook posts saying in different languages, we are with you. We are praying for you. His family shared those comments with him when he was in jail. To these images, we can add several stories about the pandemic. You find some of them in our Mennonite World Conference website. We are speaking here about particular people, faces of people who are members of our global church, members of our transnational family, with whom we walk together. We can decide to live our faith in a way in which communion is spiritualized or left for the afterlife. Or we can choose to receive and enjoy the gift of unity. We don't have to repeat our history of division. We can receive the miracle of unity and enjoy it. This is an invitation to see divisions as what they really are. Not a mark of faithfulness, but a mark of sinfulness. In Renault Network Conference, there is only one reason we find in the scriptures to break the body of Christ. There is only one reason to break the communion. And that has to do with questioning the Lordship of Jesus. 
And even in that case, we are not called to take the initiative. As you may remember, Jesus was at the Last Supper together with two of his disciples that were going to question the Lordship of Jesus. And we don't see Jesus breaking the communion and sending them out or causing a division there. So we can be like this image, and I wonder if we are watching here. Yes, great, thank you. <laughs> we can be like this image, made up of many small pictures of the Dead Sea Scrolls. They are together without transmitting a message. Or we can be like this image, made up from the same pictures of the Dead Sea Scrolls. An artist from the US organized the photos in a way that transmits a message. This artwork serves as a mirror to our church. We can decide to experience communion in a way that shows the very image of Jesus, becoming a source of hope to the world. Today, yes, we see worldwide nationalisms, conflicts managed destructively, hate, resentment, and lack of reconciliation. This is a wonderful opportunity to be what we are called to be, to embody hope. Let's follow Jesus across barriers. Let's become hope.